0: Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. It's good to be back with you. I just returned last night from the country of Moldova, uh, which is right next to Ukraine. Um, but it was a great trip, very, uh, very successful, very thankful for it. I uh, always appreciate your prayers. You know, a while back, a, a school buddy, high school buddy of mine, just showed up at Gateway, unannounced. I didn't know he was coming. And we have not seen each other since 1972. Um, and so we had a great time talking, and my mind was flooded back to one of those deep, life-changing experiences, memories. Um, something deep in me, I, when I pray to receive Christ, like when you pray, receive Christ, that's when you receive spiritual gifts. And, and so one of my spiritual gifts is that of a pastor. And so uh, there's just something deep in me that just wants to protect people and, and a deep concern for individuals. And so I can trace back to an event in 1971 that involved my friend Robbie, who came to see me, um, <clears throat> that... Was one of the most difficult leadership lessons that I learned, and the price you really pay for about caring about people. So, uh, in 1971, we uh, in high school, I was a rising 12th grader, and we had all these service clubs in the school. Almost, uh, well, really, all the service clubs were basically an excuse to have parties and. And we decided, you know, we we were going to put a club together, and we did that like two years earlier. That was going to be a safe place for guys, and um, who we wanted to be a group that wanted to make a difference. Uh, we wanted to have fun, but we also wanted to be a safe place. And so we we just said, okay, if you want to be a part of this group, no drugs, no alcohol, and um, and but you're going to have a great safe place and we were shocked at how quickly everybody wanted to be a part of that group. I mean, a lot of people just like, they wanted, to, they, wanted to, they wanted to get away from the peer pressure, and they wanted to feel safe. And so there was always, we were limited, we could only have 50 in our club, and there was always a long waiting list to get in our group. And so we had to pick and choose who we were gonna let in. That was not easy, that was not fun. Um, because we wanted to let everybody in our group. And so this 10th grader, uh, named Robbie, who came by to see me, uh, he joined our group, and um, so I was president of our club that senior year, and we had what's called an initiation week, and then we'd have an initiation night, and you know, when you do all this stupid stuff. And my job, I felt like, was to protect everybody, you know, I, wanted, I said, I just want them to survive. I, don't, I want everybody to be okay. And so I was really strict on the guys. I said, look, you know, have your fun, but you're just not gonna do anything that hurts anybody. And so our initiation night, we went out to the lake uh, in our town and we were in a remote part of the lake and everybody was, we, we had a great time, it was fun and around midnight one o'clock, I told the guys, okay, you know, we're done. Everybody head home. It was a good night. Thanks for behaving yourself. And, and uh, But unbeknownst to me, one of our guys that uh, took two of our pledges and took them off to a secluded place further down the lake, and nobody saw them leave, and we were totally unaware of this. So I go home. And my mom's waiting at the door. It's like 1 o'clock in the morning now. My mom's waiting at the door for me. Never a good sign. And she said, you need to go to the hospital right now. And they said, one of, one of your students is hurt. And so that just freaked me out. I got in my car and drove down to the hospital, went into the ER room. I found Robbie. And uh, Robbie had been burned very badly. And uh, on on his back, there was a burn about this big. It was third-degree burns. He was going to have to have surgery. And his dad was standing there, and he said, Don, tell me what happened. And I said, I don't have a clue. I said, but I'm going to find out. So I was talking to Robbie and I said, so tell me what happened. He said, well, so-and-so took us further down and he poured all this junk all over us and it smelled to high heaven. And uh, and then he, he said, well, just get in the lake and wash yourself off. And he said, when I got in the lake, man, he said, I just started screaming bloody murder. And um, I said, okay. And I told the dad, I said, I'm gonna find out what happened. So the next day at school, <laughs> since it was already like 3 in the morning. Next day of school, I went to the guy's classroom and told the teacher, I said, hey, the the principal needs to see so-and-so. I I lied. And uh, and so I got him out of his class, and I said, did you do this last night? He said, yes, sir. I said, yeah, you keep calling me, sir. And uh, I said, what did you put on them? He said, I don't know. I said, is this just stuff you made up? He said, yeah, I said, well, where's that stuff? He said, it's in the kitchen at my house. I said, all right, come on, get in my car. We're gonna drive to your house and you're gonna show me what you made. And so we went to his house and he opened up the kitchen cabinet and he started pulling out all this stuff, all smells to high heaven. And then he he pulled out this one bottle called Drano. I said, I had a lot of choice words at that moment. I said, do you know what this stuff is? He said, I just know it smells really bad. I said, yeah, I said, it contains aluminum type stuff in it. I said, when you put it with water, it activates it. I said, so when you had you had this on his back and when he jumped in the lake, it activated it and that's what burned him so bad. So I took the Drano, we went back to the school, I took him to the principal's office, I said, Here's the young man, he needs to tell you something. He told him what happened. So then it became between the families, the two families. Um, But I'll never forget, Robbie's dad was there, and he came up to me, he said, Don, he said, I don't hold you responsible. And I looked at him, I said, but I am responsible. I was responsible for protecting Robbie, and I didn't do it. And I'll always carry that with me. I didn't protect him, man. That was a hard lesson to learn. And uh, so, years later, Robbie's in my office here at Gateway, and we were talking, we're laughing. I said, Robbie, I don't. We hadn't seen each other since seventy two. I said, I don't even know what you do. What do you do? He said, I'm a firefighter. (laughs) I said wow, that makes total sense. He said, yeah, it's all because of what happened. And uh, he said, I'm a fire inspector. I'm now assistant. I'm the deputy chief of our fire department, and he's living in Georgia. I said, that's crazy. And uh, he was getting ready to leave. I said, hey, before you leave, you mind taking your shirt off? <laughs> I, haven't I haven't seen that burn since high school. I'm just curious what it looks like. He said, "Yeah, I'd love for you to see it." He took his shirt off, and uh, and when I saw it, it's as big and as ugly as ever, and it's just a gnarly scar. And um, and he said, "I'm he said I'm totally okay with it." And I said, "Yeah, I'm not." I said, "Man, that what you burned on got what got burned on your back got burned in my heart." And man, I've struggled with this, you know, my whole life knowing what happened to you. And so, today, I want to protect you from missing out on the greatest truth that's in the Bible. And I want you to know the truth because if you don't, you know, if that if that kid, I really believe, if that kid knew what Drano was and knew what it would do, he would have never put in it, put it in there. I don't think he was trying to maliciously hurt somebody, but his lack of knowledge. Caused a lot of damage to somebody else. I'm just glad he didn't pour it on his head and poured it and it had gotten into his eyes because that would have blinded him. You know, your brain goes with what all the what ifs. And I want to make sure that you know the truth because not knowing the truth will burn you. Literally. And you need to know exactly what God has done for you. Did y'all show the picture yet? Did they put the picture up? Yeah, let's put a picture up. That's, my, that's the group. That's, that's me in the little red circle. Uh, that's, that, was our, that was our group before we let the pledges in. Now, my eyes are closed, and there's a good reason why my eyes are closed. When we took the club photo... Uh, <clears throat> I, the guys said, hey, Don, bring your pickup truck. We want to use it as a background. And they, so underneath all those guys is, is my pickup truck. And the reason my eyes were closed is I was cringing about what kind of damage was being done to the roof and the hood and all that stuff. And, uh, and so that's why, that's why I closed my eyes. I was praying, God, protect my truck. Um, anyway, so that was the group. So I want us to look, I want us to look at what God has actually done for you. In Romans chapter three, verse 24, it says, yet God, in his grace, freely, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. That's what God has done for you. Amazing. Now, there's a couple of words you need to know. There's the word justification. It's a legal term which means to declare not guilty. Now, lest you forget, you are guilty. You're guilty of your sins. But when you pray to receive Christ in your life, God justifies you by declaring you not guilty. Wow. See, you're not, you're guilty, but I'm going to forget it. That's not what God did. You're guilty, but I'm going to let it slide. God didn't do that. God says, you're not guilty. Unbelievable what God has done for us through Jesus. A second word is redemption. Redemption. And we're going to talk a lot about that in a moment. Basically, redemption is to release by paying a ransom. To release by paying a ransom. Then one more word, atonement. Atonement is reconciliation between holy God and the sinful human race. Holy God and you and me. And that's done through Jesus Christ. You know what? An atonement is an act by which God and you were brought together in a personal relationship. It literally means making at one. Therefore, at one meant atonement. So it presupposes that there was a separation to begin with. And there was, because of sin. An alienation between you and a holy God. And it was something that needed to be overcome that you could never do for yourself. So that's why today, I wanna to give you a detailed explanation of salvation. <clears throat> We're gonna look at Romans three, beginning at verse 21. <clears throat> so can, can you really define the gospel? I mean, that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to define the gospel, what it is. You know, Paul clarifies it. He spells it out. He actually uses technical terms. And we're going to look at the basics of this thing called Christianity, the foundation of our beliefs. And uh, But it is extremely important that we understand this, because if you don't get what we're talking about, you will struggle in understanding your salvation. Understanding what we're going to talk about today will lessen your struggle about your salvation. One theologian said that the paragraph we're about to read and study is the most important paragraph in the Bible. Martin Luther, he said this is the chief point of the whole Bible. So let's begin in verse 21, Romans chapter 3. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. Right, I'm going to teach you nine points today, so we'll go quickly. Number one, salvation was designed by God. Man didn't think it up. Man did not take the initiative. It's not something that Paul thought up. It's not a new message. It was made known all the way back in the Old Testament. The law and the prophets were testifying to this. In fact, the Old Testament talks about grace. I mean, the Bible says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So he's saying the whole Bible teaches the same thing. Salvation is not something that just came up in the New Testament. The whole Bible teaches this. In fact, the sacrificial system was established in the Old Testament. So God was teaching the people, somebody is going to die for your sins. He was teaching them about Jesus from the very beginning in the Old Testament. Number two. Salvation cannot be earned from God. It's impossible. It'll never happen. It cannot be earned from God. You don't get to heaven by your works, so stop trying to earn it. You can try to keep the Ten Commandments, and you can try to keep the Sermon on the Mount, but you're not going to be saved by earning it or by working for it. You know, in the Old Testament, there were three kinds of laws. There was Moral laws, there were civil laws, and there were ceremonial laws. And these three kinds of laws are talked about in the first five books of the Bible. Paul says none of those are going to get you into heaven. None of those laws, no matter how perfect you are in those laws, are going to get you to heaven. So, number three, salvation is revealed by God. God is the one that has shown us salvation. So if God had not designed salvation, if God did not reveal salvation, we would never know about it. Had God not chosen to show us this thing called salvation, you and I would have no clue about it. But God chose to reveal it. And I'm thankful to God for that. Look at verse 22. We are made right with God, right standing, right relationship. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes no matter who you are. Your heritage has nothing to do with it. So number four, salvation is through faith. It's through faith, faith in Jesus Christ. Sometimes I talk to Christians and, uh, and, I'll, and I'll talk to them about their Christianity uh, and I'll, or if I'm not sure if they're a believer or not, I'll say, hey, are you, are you a follower of Christ? And they'll say something like, well, I'm trying. Well, it, it's like being pregnant. Either you are or you aren't. It's not a matter of you trying to be a Christian. It's a matter of you trusting. It's a matter of faith. You know, I think there are two mistakes people make when it comes to faith in Christ. One, they worry that they don't have enough faith. You see, it doesn't matter how much or how little faith you've got. It's not the amount, it's the object of your faith. And the Bible says, in fact, Jesus said, you could have the faith of a mustard seed, which is really, really tiny, and you could move a mountain. So it's not about the size of your faith. It's about the object of your faith, what what you're putting your faith faith into. The second mistake is putting faith in your faith. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Some people think that their faith they put their faith in their faith that they think that's what's going to get them into heaven no it's your faith in a person not you know having faith in your faith is really putting faith in yourself it's faith in a person his name is Jesus Christ faith faith not what saves you it's Jesus that saves you faith means you trust in you rely on you cling to you adhere to Number five, salvation is available to everyone who believes. It's available to everyone who believes. It's through faith, and it's available to everyone. God initiated it. God revealed it. I'm so thankful for that. Let's go to the next verse, verse 23. For everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Everybody has sinned, and we all fall short of God's standard. Now, that's the one condition. There's this, it has a universal appeal to it. Salvation is for everyone. Everyone needs it, and everyone can have it, but you have to believe, and it's not... Belief and then work really hard. It's believing. It, it, see, I think sometimes people get into this habit of, well, I believe in Jesus now, but now I'm going to really work hard for it. It, it just doesn't. It, it'd be like going up an elevator. That's say the floor is twenty. Floors high, and the building's 24 high, and you, you go up four or five flights in the elevator, and then you stop, you get off, and then you walk four or five flights, and then you get back on the elevator. And you're saying, that's just silly. That's what a lot of people do with their salvation. I trust Jesus, but I need to get out, and I need to earn this. I'm going to work really hard. And then they get worn out, and they get tired, and they get frustrated, and then they get back on the elevator. Does that sound like your life? You go through those times where you're really working hard at your salvation, and then it never works out for you the way you thought it would? Instead of just getting back on the elevator and trusting Jesus? When I became a Christian, I laid my life in God's hands. I think I even said something to the effect, God, I don't understand all this, but I'm laying my faith and trust in you. So even when I didn't, quote, have enough faith, what little faith I had, I put it in Jesus and found out that that was enough. You know, there's something interesting in this verse. There, there are two verbs in this verse that are two different tenses. You know, in the in the English language we have three tenses, right? Past, present, future. In the Greek language, there's nine tenses. I mean, the Greek language is a very technical language and and, and it's a very precise language known to man. And uh, and maybe that's why God used it for, for the New Testament was the, the Greek. Um, and, and so Here we have two different verbs in this short sentence. First of all, the one that says, everyone has sinned, that's an aorist tense. We don't have that in the English. It simply means past, done for, once for all situation. It's an established fact. Everyone has sinned. It's established. It's done. And then it says, and fall short. Well, that's in a present tense, which means continual, ongoing, continually falling short. So, I have fallen short, it's done, but I continue on falling, I'm falling short today and I'm gonna keep on falling short. I'm a sinner, it's done, it's done, it's done. And I keep falling short. That's why I need Jesus. So, but both of these words, both of these words in the Greek are used for athletes. Uh, the word everyone has sin" was actually an archery term. When they'd have competition, you'd shoot at the bullseye. If you missed the bullseye, it was called a sin. You missed the mark. All of you, including me, we all missed the bullseye. Every single one of us. And then the word for having fallen short, also an athletic term, literally means to fall behind in a race. We've all done that too. We we try to run this race towards being accepted by God and we all have fallen behind. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, I know a lot of people I'm doing better than them hate to break it to you. God doesn't grade on a curve. He just doesn't do it. My favorite professor in seminary was the hardest professor, but great, great professor, but he also graded on the curve and everybody hated it. And um, in fact, I remember one semester I took first, uh, second Corinthians from him and he graded on the curve and I knew what was coming. A 96 was a C. I hated that class when it came to grades. God does not grade on a curve. I mean, there's always somebody better than you, right? There's always somebody worse than you. There's always somebody. And God doesn't grade on the curve. What God says, all of you have fallen short. To be good enough to get to God... You have to be perfect. Everybody's missed the bullseye and everybody's fallen behind. Now there's no doubt there are people in this world that are trying desperately to earn their salvation. Now I like this one phrase here, that this glory of God, I I like the way the New Living Translation says it that we all fall short of God's glorious standard. So God's glory was the standard that he set for us, and we all have fallen short of that. I mean, when God made Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, it brought glory to God because they were perfect, and they were in perfect relationship with each other, and they were perfect relationship with God but they blew it. They sinned, they fell short, and the glory was lost. But thanks be to God, through Jesus, God has restored that glory for you and me. Number six, salvation is absolutely necessary. That is the only way the glory will be brought back. Salvation is absolutely necessary. Now let's go to verse 24. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He freely chooses, not free that it didn't cost him anything, but he freely, of his own will, chose to make us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Don, you missed the bullseye. You have fallen way behind, but I I freely choose to make you right with me through my son Jesus. That's what God says to you today. If you don't get anything else about your salvation, you need to get this. Now, we're, verse 24 actually is really getting down to the meat of the passage. This is one of the most significant verses, I think, in all of the Bible. His grace freely makes us right with him. My salvation, your salvation is undeserved, yet we freely get it through Jesus. Jesus. The word freely literally literally means without a cause. The word freely is, this is only used one other time in the New Testament. It's used in John 15. Let me read that. It's not going to be on the screen, but let me read that. John 15, 25, this fulfills what is written in their scripture. They hated me without cause. Jesus was speaking about how the world did not come to him, and they would hate him, and he was going to be rejected. Now the disciples were bothered by this, and then Jesus said, hey, guess what? If the world hates me, he's gonna hate you as well. That still holds true today. The world hates Jesus, so the world's going to hate you. And that's why You can talk about all these other religions and nobody gets riled up about it, but you bring up Christianity, you bring up Christ, and all of a sudden, the fangs come out. The labels come out. Don't be surprised that the world hates us because they hate Jesus. And so they're going to hate us. How many of you remember um, growing up and your parents told you to do something and you said, why? And their response was very clear, because. You, did you have that? Why should I do it? Because. I'm the parent. I said so. Why? Because. And um, Then I look at this, and I say, why did God choose the Jews to be his chosen people? Because he did. Why did Jesus have to come and die? Why did he come when he did? Because it's what God chose. Because God loves you. Because God made you. Because God has a purpose for you. Because God cares more deeply for you than anybody else will ever care about you. That's why He wants you to know about Jesus. So here's the seventh lesson Salvation is undeserved. You don't deserve it, you never will. I don't deserve it, I never will. Number eight, salvation comes through a person, and his name is Jesus. Verse 25, for God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life shedding his blood there's the gospel you are made right with God when you believe Jesus sacrificed his life by shedding his blood for you this sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in past times you see It doesn't come through a religion. It doesn't come through baptism. It doesn't come through a ritual. It doesn't come through a bunch of principles and rules and do's and don'ts. It comes through a person named Jesus. You know that word redemption that I mentioned, salvation was made possible because of redemption. And there's so much theology packed into these verses than any other place in the Bible, it seems like to me. There's more truth in these verses than in some entire books. So what is redemption? It means to release by paying a ransom. In the Roman Empire, they, half of the population of Rome were slaves. Half. Half. It was like a half a million slaves and a half a million Roman citizens. And you would go down to the slave market and you buy a slave, you own that slave. You could do whatever you wanted to with that slave. You could kill that slave if you wanted to. Some people actually, out of generosity, would go and buy slaves and then give them their freedom. They did that as a ministry. And so if you had the money, you could buy slaves and they were put on the auction block these slaves who had no rights whatsoever. But when you would go to the slave market and buy a slave, you would pay a redemption, a price to release the slave. <clears throat> and this is the, this is the term that Paul is using here. So when you are slaves to your habits, slaves to your passions, Slaves to your own desires, Jesus came and he paid the ransom to set you free from those desires, those passions. He set you free from all of that. I want to share one last verse in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. You are a slave to your sins, but you were, were redeemed. Now you're a slave to God in the right sense because some romans would go and buy a slave but then they would bring him into the family and treat him as a family member maybe even adopt them as a family member and that's what that's what god did for you you were slave to your sin and he went down to the slave market where you were lost in your sins and your, your desires and he redeemed you out of that and he brought you into his family and adopted you. That's why in First Corinthians it goes on to say you do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. So the last thing about salvation, salvation is expensive. The greatest price ever paid for anything was salvation, was Jesus' death on the cross. Now back to Romans, one last verse, verse 26. For he was looking ahead and including them, talking about the people in the Old Testament, and what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate, here's what God did. He demonstrated his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners, that's you and me, right in his sight when what? When they believe in Jesus. You know, the cross, amazingly, covers your past, your present, and your future. Jesus died for you before you were born. He died for sins you hadn't even committed yet. He's already covered your past sins, He's covered the sins you're going to commit next week. Now, that doesn't mean I'm free to go and do what I want. But he's covered me. Don't get burned by your lack of knowledge. You know, a sad statistic that was uh, shared by a pastor friend of mine recently, and when I read it, I didn't know I believed it, and I went and checked it out, and he was correct, that of the... Christians who are in that millennial group, called millennial uh, people, that are believers, 47% of them, not all believers, but the millennial group, 47% of them believe that it's wrong to evangelize, to try to convince somebody of what Jesus did for them. I, I just... Can't fathom that. I mean, that's like I'm standing there and a student's getting ready to take a can of Drano and pour it on somebody, and I know what that is gonna do to that person. And am I supposed to stand back and say, oh, yeah, they're, you know, I'm, I'm, not, <clears throat> I'm not free to tell them they can't do what they want. You say, oh, you, where did that thinking come from? No, you've got to stop it. You've you got to speak the truth. You've got friends and family members that are living in such a way it's like they're pouring Drano on them and it's going it's to do a lot of damage and they're, they're going to spend eternity paying for that. And you know the truth, and you're not going to share it with them? Either we love people enough to risk their ridicule by speaking the truth, or we're so selfish. We just keep our mouth shut. The gospel is for everyone. Jesus saves anyone who calls upon his name and believes. That's what we read. And you know the truth. So I've got a list of names I pray for every day that are not believers. I pray for them. And when I have the opportunity, I speak to them. I have conversations. And if they say, no, I've I've got one friend right now, you know, I asked them point blank. I said, you know, have you gotten to a place you're ready to make a decision about Jesus? And they said, I'm really thinking about it, but I'm just not ready there. My response was not, well, forget you. No, I keep the friendship and I keep praying, but then I'm going to ask again. I'm going to share it again. And so you've got some friends and family members you need to be doing that for. Pray for them first. Some of you, you need to make a decision. You need to decide. Stop trying to save yourself, just quit. It's not going to be enough. And just say yes to Jesus. I'll be at the front. You can come and pray with me, you come pray by yourself. You can pray right where you're sitting. We're here for you. Jesus is here for you. Let's pray.